This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where usually each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and the reason I said usually is because we're doing something different today that we're going to start uh, every couple of months. So a few months back, I was on a wonderful podcast called Book Gang with Amy Clark, and we talked about sad books, which is, as I said, very much my jam. But Amy and I had such a good time doing book recommendations that I immediately said after we got done recording, we should do this more often and let's figure out a way. So I talked to my podcast network and said, this isn't what I do every week for the podcast, but I want to do a bonus episode, you know, every couple months where we do book recommendations. And they said, absolutely. So this is all building up to say, I am super excited because my guest today is Amy Clark from momadvice.com and from the Book Gang podcast and a couple of other other things I'm going to let her talk about. But before I do that, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I love that I get to like be the guest instead of the host. This is kind of nice. I'll try to not talk over you and be annoying like that. (laughs) No, you're totally fine. We actually joked about that when I was on your show and you were asking me questions and it was like all I could do to not like return serve and ask you questions about things. But I think we should be okay because we're just going to be ping ping ponging book recommendations back and forth. But but before I do that, tell everyone where they can find all of the various things because you are you have quickly become like my favorite follow on all of social media and all over the place. So tell everyone all the things and then we'll get into our book recommendations here. Yeah. So I've been a content creator since 2004. I started momadvice.com. It was basically a site for good living on a small budget and teaching people how to live, uh, you know, a good life for less. That's basically the whole goal of the site. And I did craft food and DIY. So you'll see a lot of projects like that on the site. But um, I faced some health challenges around the age of 38. I got diagnosed with a rare condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And basically, it made motor movement very challenging for me. And my job became very difficult to do with the physical element of content creation. And so I have always been really passionate about books and sharing that on our website. But I needed to learn how to pivot into my new chapter of my own life. And so one of the things that I decided to do was, you know, kind of talking through with my physical therapist, how are some ways that I can, you know, pivot my career, still do things that I'm passionate about, but definitely, you know, kind of work with my new challenges. And she kept talking about getting more voice driven doing things that are more um, voice driven. And of course, I remembered that at one point I had done podcasting and I had been doing it actually for a network for 
a big company you might know called Walmart. They had hired me as a content creator to do basically podcasts that were just, you know, little informational things with things they were promoting, whether that was books or products that they were trying to design for their particular customer. And so I had a little bit of a background, but I think at that point I was pretty much doing it on my phone. This was like 2008. Mm -hmm. I had Skype. I had no idea what I was doing. And so while I was a little bit bedridden and struggling through all of this PT, I decided I would go to the number one resource for all information, which is YouTube, and teach myself how to get back in the podcasting game. And so my podcast is just a year old now. It's called The Book Gang. And we celebrate under the radar books, backlist books, and I have a deep affection for debut novelists. So that's what our show is about. And that community has just grown from there. We have a Patreon where people can interact with books and and do really fun, unique opportunities with authors. And so that is, you know, a bonus feature for a book club that I run called Mom Advice Book Club, as well as for the Book Gang podcast. Yeah. And so I will just tell everyone. Anywhere you search mom advice, you can find it on Instagram, on there's the Facebook page, there's it on Twitter. But check out the podcast. I Amy and I were joking after we got done recording. Like, I don't think people understand how much goes into building out each and every one of these episodes of every podcast you listen to. And like the reason if you're listening to a podcast, you're like, and you don't find yourself saying, like, oh, the audio was awful, or like it felt mm-hmm. like they were rambling. That's because of all the editing and all of the like focus and hours that go into stuff. So if you have enjoyed listening to my podcast and my interviews, check out Amy's because I just love the way I feel like we are kindred spirits and how we talk about books. And in fact, people go back and listen to my episode Mm -hmm. of your podcast. Like the reason we're doing this today is because we didn't plan on doing this, but we each prepped a few books for that. And then what would end up happening is Amy would talk about a book and I would be like, oh, have you read this Read this book? It's very similar. And she would do the same thing for my recommendations. And, and so that's what bore this out. And so I will say our, my tentative plan is to do this every couple of months. I don't want to overwhelm Amy with additional, <laughs> she's doing so much on her own. But um, yeah, I just figured every couple of months we'd come together and say, you know, here's some book recommendations. And also from a um, selfish standpoint, it gives me a chance to talk to Amy about books in a way that we can both use in a a productive way. So with all that in mind, we each have six books, right? That was what we planned out, I believe. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I planned to. I emailed Amy a while back about this and that's what I thought, but uh, you are the guest. So I will let you go first with your first recommendation and we are just going to go back and forth. I will let everyone know in advance. We'll have the books in the show notes so that you can find them. You don't have to furiously write them down. But the floor is yours. What is your first book recommendation? So I'm going to talk about a book that I have been thinking about lately, mainly because the movie adaptation just came out. This book was published in 2012. It is called My Policeman. I don't know if anybody has seen the film yet, but I got the opportunity to see it when it kind of sneak peeked at our theater. So the book itself, though, is why I wanted to see the movie. And of course, the leading actor is Harry Styles. So anyone who is a fan of Harry Styles, get in line behind me. Um, There are two covers, though, of this book that are floating around. One that kind of looks like erotica literature. It's got a, you know, a bare chest and it's black and white and it looks like kind of a different kind of story than really what it is. And then 
some bookstagrammer posted a photo from her local Barnes and Noble. And there was this book that I saw called My Policeman. And I'm like, what is that? And it had a cover with like very artsy, like three people, looks like a period piece swimming on the cover. And I'm like, I didn't pick it up the first time because of the marketing from the first adventure. So I just want to say, regardless of what cover version you get, it is a beautiful story. And I also want to say that this is a great one to read before you watch because the movie was just as fantastic. I could totally see Harry Styles winning an award for this. Um, it was absolutely gorgeous. I will say the two differences between the book and the movie are that the movie is very much open door with the love scenes and the book is very much fade to black. So that may bring in two different audiences or you may not care about that element, but I do want to point that out. And I also want to say that the movie didn't really give us a lot of historical context of the story, and I had hoped that maybe there would be more about it. But basically, this is a love story inspired by E.M. Forrester. And if you want to learn about the muse, The Guardian did a really great piece on it. In context to the book, though, this is a slow burn romance that is inspired by the life of E.M. Forrester and a relationship that he had with a police officer named Bob Buckingham. It's set in 1950s Brighton. There is a love triangle. It's about two people who love one policeman, his wife and his secret lover. And this tragic story explores the quiet love that is shared between these two men and what it would be like if speaking your truth resulted in your arrest and also the destruction of your life. And the story utilizes journal entries from his lover and a manuscript from his wife that outline his confessions, allowing the reader to explore the story from different points of view and also varying timelines in the love story. It's really beautiful. It's emotional. It also translated so beautifully on film. And if you are a music uh, fan, I just have to say that the soundtrack is also amazing. So if you love a heart-wrenching historical fiction story with a good love triangle, definitely pick up My Policeman. It's written by Beth Ann Roberts. I need you to know while you were talking about this book, because I had not yet heard of this book, I did look up, I looked up the, Im I did an image search on Google, <laughs> and Amy is not kidding. There are two wildly different like literally one of them looks like a 50 shades of gray type yes. of cover and the other one looks like like a nostalgic like you said like this like three people swimming off the pier and you're you're absolutely right one of these I probably wouldn't pick up the other one I would mm -hmm. probably pick up straight away oh my god that's so funny oh that sounds so so good um okay so so my first one I want to recommend is I, I am like Amy I love talking about midlist and backlist books, but I do have a couple that are front list and were best-selling books, but I still love them. So With Teeth by Kristen Arnett is the first book I'm going to talk about. Kristen Arnett kind of blew up on the scene in 2019 with Mostly Dead Things, which was a phenomenal book all about a person whose family does taxidermy and she has to go home and deal with a whole bunch of different family aspects. And then with teeth is something I'm going to talk about in a moment. It's what a friend of mine, Mallory Romero, would describe as a Florida book. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. And it's very much a Florida book. But basically, it's the story of two women who are in a relationship and they have a son named Sammy. I'm sorry, the Sammy Lucas is scared of her son. Um, and the son's name is Samson. So kind of named after Sammy. And Samson is, it's kind of this classic story of a, 
withdrawn, unknowable, dark child. And like you, you are left wondering throughout most of the book, like, is there like a demon in this child? Is there something wrong? Is there something like beyond the pale going on here? But it's basically the story of the two of them where Sammy spends all of her time working from home and in really close quarters with her son who just like, they do not get along. And he's constantly being just awful and she's trying her best. She's driving, she's cleaning, she's cooking. She's trying to get him to finish all of his projects. And like, meanwhile, her, uh, her wife, Monica is like doing basically like, is sort of like a globe traveling, like working away all the time. And she only sees the good aspects of their son. And so like, she's growing more and more resentful of her wife. And then something happens when her son's hostility kind of spills over and she and her son bites her mother, Sammy, like in the car. And what happens after that, like her response to it just like blows the whole book into a completely different direction. And it is this story of, again, like you're wondering at the surface, like, is, is this like a demonic, like we need to talk about Kevin type of a book, but (laughs) it's really at the heart. It's like the story of the struggling family and their relationships and and everyone on the podcast has heard me say, and I know Amy has heard me say, like, I love stories about families, like small stories, big emotions. This one has massive emotions and like this delicate fabric of family and the ways that like it can be torn apart by ways that that are unexpected. So with Teeth by Kristen Arnett, phenomenal book, a little dark, but I highly, highly recommend it. Okay, so this is the first time I've heard the the phrase Florida book. <laughs> what does that mean, a Florida so, book? Yeah, so Mallory, who is the co-host of the Reading Glasses mm-hmm. podcast, she describes a Florida book as like, first off, it is this is set in Florida. So it, it is a quite literally a Florida book. But there are a lot of things in here, like, and I... I I'm not trying to stereotype people, but I'm stealing Mallory's uh, <laughs> thing. So I guess I sort of am. It's like people drinking in the back of like a trailer park or okay. just like where they're incessantly talking about the heat and humidity that they are surrounded by <laughs> and like the fact that they have um, like swampland around them. So like Florida is, well, not a character. It is like an ever-present aspect of this book. I so see. she likes to just like qualify all of these things as, <laughs> A Florida book. And like her co-host Bria is from Texas and she likes to qualify books that talk about like high school football and like the searing heat of summer. She's like, that's a Texas book. So with teeth is a Florida book. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Well, I like dark books, so I'm I'm game for that one too. Um, I'll continue on the dark theme. I have a book called Bad Habits. It's written by Amy Gentry. Our guests do a bonus called the Real Bookworm Challenge, which I had you do, Adam. At the end of our show, we asked them to come on and we asked them a rapid fire kind of game show experience about their reading life. And one of my favorite episodes that we did was one with Ashley Winstead. She wrote a book called In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife. She's also written The Last Housewife. It's her latest book. And she wrote a debut romance called Fool Me Once. And she brought this book as her under the radar gem. And it inspired me so much that I had to pick it up because Ashley basically said, this is what I aspire to be as a writer. 
So anyways, Ashley decided to bring this one because she said this is the dark academia book that she believes deserved way more attention. And I just want to co-sign on this recommendation. And I read it through Scribd. If you have Scribd, it's available on there. This is a dark and introspective novel that I just sunk my teeth into every evening. It transported me somewhere else. And one author called the ending diabolical. And I just want to agree with it. The ending is very diabolical. The final paragraph just deserved a read aloud. I actually read it out loud to my husband because I needed him to be involved with this plot too. So in the story, we have two old friends meeting in a bar as our mystery begins. Claire and Gwen are both just successful in their own ways. One is a successful professor and the other is set to marry a successful Hollywood filmmaker. They know nothing about each other, and the reader gets to follow along as they share a drink or five in a hotel bar where they discover they're both staying. So they started out as high school friends that find each other and just a shared deep appreciation for artsy films, which was also kind of fun to experience as a reader along with them. But Unfortunately, they're not the same in other ways. One is given a silver spoon in her life and the other's family just can't pay their bills. And these two differences really act in sharp contrast while the reader is rooting for an underdog. But despite their circumstances, they both end up getting accepted in a rigorous and prestigious elite graduate program but only one gets to move on into a life-changing fellowship and the two will stop at nothing to garner a prize. And as they become entangled with faculty, they have to decide how far are they going to go to get a coveted spot and what does it mean for their friendship? This delivers on a really well-developed mystery. We have fleshed out characters, gorgeous descriptive language. Honestly, I'll just be honest, this book is for an academic there was a lot that I had to use my dictionary for or Wikipedia. Um, and I actually enjoyed that as a, as a reader, but it is very long and there are a lot of descriptive words that was maybe for some not falling into a popcorn thriller audience. And the way it had been marketed, again, this is like one of those marketing things where I think the people that it didn't appeal to, it's because they wanted that popcorn thriller. They didn't want this well-developed mystery. And I was completely captivated by it. I will say if you were a fan of My Brilliant Friend, I felt like it was very similar. I was never bored, but it was a week-long commitment. It was over 350 pages, but slower kind of reading. So if you can adjust your typical thriller expectations, appreciate good rivalry. I'm going to recommend this specifically for anyone who likes dark academic settings, slower plot lines, character-driven stories. The title of that is Bad Habits by Amy Gentry, which I've never heard anyone talk about. Honestly, the moment you said Ashley Winstead recommended it, like, I was in there. I'm glad you talked about the book itself. But like in my dreams, I hold a knife is such so a phenomenal good. book. And for Ashley as the author of that to say, this is the type of book I wish I wrote. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I am. I was in from the jump. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. So good. So my next one is I tried to do some different genres here just because this is, like I said, this is Amy and I getting our feet wet doing recommendations together. So we, as we go throughout these over, you know, a few months here and there, we might hone in on like specifics, but this one, I should have clarified at the beginning. This is both of us just sort of going all over the map with stuff that we just want to talk about. So uh, my next one is The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornishek. 
And this is um, fantasy. It's also a little dark, uh, but it is perfect for fans of Madeline Miller's Circe, which <laughs> I think that book has now hit like a million copies sold. So clearly Circe is for very many people. Uh, but this is similar to Circe. This is a story of a character from Norse mythology who isn't talked about very much. And uh, Genevieve basically took that story and fleshed it out much further. So the main character's name is Anger Boda. And if you are familiar with Norse mythology, she is the mother of Loki's three children. And so what this story does is it starts from the beginning of Anger Boda's story, which is where most witches' tales end. Uh, with a burning. So basically is burned as a punishment from Odin for refusing to provide him knowledge of the future. It's something that she can, like she can basically see everything that's going to happen in the future. And she refuses to tell Odin all about it. This is stuff that you can find. That first aspect is stuff you can find. If you read like um, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology, where he basically goes from the beginning of Norse mythology all the way to the end. Um, I'm not saying that's the end all be all way to do it, but I know a lot of people like, to look at like Stephen Fry's mythos. He did the same thing with Greek mythology. So you can learn about Angerboda a little bit in those, but this fleshes out her story so much more. So basically what happens, she gets burned and she is kind of banished to like the farthest reaches of a remote forest, which works out well for her because she's no longer like under Odin's eye and she can sort of rebuild a life. You know, she's a goddess, so she's basically immortal. And so this story goes over like years and years and years. And she eventually is found by this man who reveals himself to be Loki. And at first she, you know, distrusts him and it turns into this like hatred and then friendship and then love. And they produce these three very, very unusual children. And each of them have a, like a secret destiny. Again, I don't want to give anything away about the different parts of the family because that is stuff that you can find out in Norse mythology, but I really recommend reading this first. Um, but she kind of slowly recovers her powers to see the future. And she learns like, actually, maybe I should look into the future. And she ends up seeing basically like all of this stuff that she's been enjoying for decades now is in danger. And so she has to choose like, is she just going to accept the fate that the universe has given her? Or is she going to try and change things? And it kind of, it goes from there. But it's something where I had read Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman before this, but you do not need to. And I will say, in fact, like similar to how Circe is a really great jumping off point for people who want to read more Greek and Roman mythology kind of retellings, The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornoshek is a great jumping off point for Norse mythology. And I know Vikings, it's weird to say Vikings are having a moment, but I feel like over the past like five years, like between the different TV shows that have come out and the different books, Vikings are kind of having a moment. And so if you are one of those people who seeks out Viking related things, or you just like a, a fantasy with like a morally gray, but really fun and funny uh, lead female character, The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornoshek is a phenomenal book. I feel like I'm the last person on earth to read Circe. I have not read it yet. It's on my bucket list, but I have not really got into any of the Greek mythology books, mm -hmm. even though they're very popular on book talk. I'm completely aware of all of them. And I feel like part of the reason is, you know, with a podcast, you have to be the discovery like aspect of your show sometimes. And so I miss some of the bigger books that are so popular. So full disclosure, I interviewed Genevieve when this, but this was her debut and I interviewed her before it came out and ended up being a, a New York Times bestseller, which was amazing for Genevieve. And the same thing with Madeline Miller. Uh, she was on the podcast that I previously co-hosted and 
we interviewed her. I first I actually interviewed her twice. One about Circe and uh, Song of Achilles before they became, they were kind of picking up steam again, but they've been out for a little while. Uh, but it was nowhere near what it was now. So yeah, I have a, a special place in my heart for both of those authors. But I will say Circe really does live up. Like th- there's a reason it has sold like a million copies. It really is just a phenomenally written book. So I'm not going to tell you to like bump it up because I know you have, I'm sure, a TBR <laughs> list longer than uh, you know mm-hmm. anyone can imagine. But it's a wonderful book. Well, I can't wait to read it. And I want to talk about a book that you actually brought to the Ugly Cry episode on my show. It's The 100 Years of Lenny and Margot by Marianne Cronin. Um, So when we had talked about it, I believe that I falsely said, I have read this book because I was off track on my notes when we were talking. So I just Mm -hmm. want to tell you, when I said that I was a liar and I had not read it. So in our book club, there are three reader's choice selections that people vote on and we do a poll every year. And then whoever's book gets to the top of the stack, that's what ends up getting slated for the year. And this was a reader's choice. And so I like to save those and read them with everyone. I do have to read a tiny bit ahead because of some of the things we do within the book club, but I had not read it. And I just have to like co-sign that this is a beautiful and heart-wrenching book that I loved. And I want to pitch it to anyone who has not read it because it's also a bigger book. I think it's done really well for a debut, but you may not have read it. And it is a story of an unlikely friendship that blossoms between a 17-year-old girl named Lenny and an 83-year-old woman named Margot. Now, their age difference may seem a little unusual, but Lenny has found it challenging to make friends her own age at the Glasgow Princess Royal Hospital. And the two of them decide to take advantage of an arts and crafts room, and they begin a unique project together when they discover that their combined age is 100 years old, and they will create 100 paintings that tell the story of their lives and find joy and comfort and sharing the stories that they've never spoken aloud. For me, Margot's story in particular, it was really beautiful because she reveals some really deeply hidden truths that really brought tears to my eyes. And I feel like this author did a really good job giving the spotlight to Margot in many places because she had lots more years to reflect on. But Lenny's storyline shines as she's questioning faith and God and striking up an unlikely friendship with the hospital's patient chaplain. This book is truly a perfect book club selection, and it reminds me really how vital it is that readers get to help choose some of the books for our group. I loved finding like the hidden book treasures about this book club, but discussing books that are more familiar and have been well-loved throughout their reading year is also really essential. This is really life-affirming and uplifting, even in its sad moments. And it really was an impressive debut. It was almost five stars for me. I'm pretty stingy with my five-star rating, but it was really, really close. And I saw that she had been working on it since like 2014 when it finally got published, I believe, in 2021. And so uh, you can tell that a lot of love and attention went into this story. And again, that is The 100 Years of Lenny and Margot by Marianne Cronin. Uh, I was so excited when I saw your list that you're bringing this. It is so good. And like you said, it is so life affirming, even in its sadness. And it's just, uh, I, I love this book so, so very much. And I do want to say, speaking of books that we talked about on our previous discussion, I mentioned a book 
previously, this isn't my recommendation here, but I just want to say by Anne Griffin, I was talking about still listening and you told me I needed to read When All Is Said, which I have since read. Yes. And I, I can't believe I didn't just reach out and tell you how I loved it so much. It's about an 84 year old man in an Irish bar who basically raises his glass five times to do five toasts throughout his life. And it, it's, it's similar in the vein that it has that nostalgia, like mm-hmm. sadness, but joy of looking back on your life and so this is just me, like a co-signing Lenny and Margot and saying, if you read Lenny and Margot and you like it, check out When All Is Said by Anne Griffin, because Amy, you were so right about that one as well. So, Well, when we get done recording, I am going to send you my playlist for this book because I set the whole book to music and I go chapter by chapter so you can like see like the whole journey of Lenny and Margot. And since you've already read it, I don't feel like there'll be any spoilers in the music, but it was really fun to narrate this one. This very, like all the artsy elements of it really came together well in other mediums too. That's amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, Lenny Margot, a beautiful, beautiful book. We'll be back with more Passions and Prologues after this break. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. And now, back to Passions and Prologues. Okay, so my next one is The Angel of Crows by Catherine Addison. This is, I'm just realizing now, I did two, maybe three fantasy books, which is not like me, but so I fell in love with Catherine Addison's writing because she wrote a book called The Goblin Emperor. And a long, long time ago, I interviewed Holly Black, who is like, I jokingly Mm -hmm. called her like the queen of fae writing. Like all of Holly Black's books that she writes about fairies and elves and witches and all, they're just beautiful and after she and I got done recording we were talking and I was just like I literally just kind of compare every fae type novel to anything you write and she goes well I worship at the throne of this book by Catherine Addison called the Goblin Emperor and so I read that and it is like if you just the best way to describe it is like a goblin version of Game of Thrones. Like it's political intrigue and all these different things, but it's set in this like dark goblin world. So I read that and then I saw that Catherine Addison had written this big, meaty, fantasy, historical novel called The Angel of Crows. And it came out in 2020 and it is long. It's 450 pages. So just like you're going to be in for a little bit of a longer ride. Uh, but it is a an alternate 1880s London. And it's a time where killers stalk throughout the city like jack the ripper is stalking the streets of london during this time but there's also angels and werewolves and vampires that are all also in this 1880s london and so the werewolves and human beings and vampires kind of have this like unspoken truth where they tend to leave each other alone but they all know each other exists but then there's these serial killers that are kind of like running amok and like are they good are they bad are they vampires are they humans what are they but there's also angels that stay that can like are a part of each town so like there is 
quite literally an angel of London, an angel of New York City. And then there's one that's known as the Angel of Crows, who's our main character. And when an angel falls, it is like a nuclear bomb. Like literally when an angel, angel quote unquote, falls and like goes to the dark side, it basically like explodes and it causes a huge rift and destruction and all these different things. And so the main character is this angel of crows and they are violent, but it's, it's just such a phenomenal and strange and eerie book. And if you're a fan, I know we're just getting done with the Halloween season when we're recording this, but like, if you are a fan of dark mysteries, I would say, you know, not to bring Neil Gaiman back, but like if you are a fan of Neil Gaiman's darker, like comic book writing and a lot of his stuff, like um, I think Neverwhere was the name of his, the book that he wrote about like a alternate London. This is right up that same alley. Um, it's just, it's like this perfect combination of these monsters that you're used to in all of the different contexts that we get throughout the, the fall year, but in a, like there's none of the tropes that you would expect through one of them. So again, it's big, it's beefy, it's 450 pages, but The Angel of Crows by Catherine Addison is like a, it's just a wonderful, dark, gothic, creepy book. Oh my gosh, this sounds so imaginative. I love the idea of like it being like a nuclear bomb when the angels fall and, and all of these ideas around it sound really fantastical, actually. It's it's so great. And I will say like, so Catherine Addison, The Goblin Emperor, the book that I, wrote, that I mentioned first, that is very, again, it's like, political intrigue but set in a goblin court basically and so if you read that first and you go into this understanding like okay she's going to have a lot of intricate details about things so if, if you haven't read anything by Catherine Addison before just kind of prepare yourself for uh a little bit of you know kind of world building that you might not be expecting but again highly worth just like diving in and enjoying it I love it. Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to go with romance for our next uh, category. I have to give a shout out to my co-host, uh, Larry Hoffer, who does our little Patreon bonus show because he reads like 400 books a year and he brings his like top 10 to our show. And this was his recommendation. So I cannot take full credit for where this came from. I think it's really important to you know, cite your sources, but it's called The Charm Offensive. It's written by Alison Cochran. And I, in particular, always remember whatever I'm reading on vacation. For some reason, it just solidifies whatever the reading experience was. And last Thanksgiving, this was my book. So I thought it would be fun to bring today because I think this should be your Thanksgiving book. And it is absolutely delightful. This is an escape if you need to escape all of the holiday preparation. And I will say it is one of my favorite romances that delivers on a meteor plot line, plot line than was expected. So in our story, Dev is charged with scripting love stories for a reality series. It's called Ever After. So think of any reality show that you've ever watched. It's pretty much like that. But in this year's season, he's given one of his biggest writing challenges ever because his lead is only doing this job really to rehabilitate his image. And he happens to be the most awkward person. Like think of the most awkward moments in your life. This is what he's like giving, but he's giving it on camera. Charlie is dashing. I mean, he's intelligent. He just doesn't know how to navigate the dating world. And he's awful on camera, like awful on camera. So as sparks are awkwardly flying between Dev and Charlie, 
he starts to realize that Charlie actually has a pretty compelling backstory. And it's better than anything that he could ever script write. So it's the kind of romance that just leaves a big, goofy grin on your face. I think that Cochran really shined with witty banter and effectively delivering on exposing kind of that hidden underbelly of reality television. So Cochran writes really witty banter, and she delivers on exposing some also hidden underbellies of reality television that's meant to toy with, you know, the contestants' lives and their emotions, as well as the viewers. This is going to satisfy any itch you have for reality TV, and it's a fast page turner. They also weave in scripts, too, so it's kind of fun in that aspect, too, if you like a little bit more interactive experience within your books. It's also great if you're short on a reading challenge, because I know we're getting towards the end of the year, and some of us are trying to hit a goal. This will be a perfect goal-setting book. And again, that is The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran, and thank you to Larry for giving this book to me. I'm really glad that you brought a, a Thanksgiving wreck because like I so I have, I have three more, but my last two are very much like holiday reads. They're two books that I read at the end of every year. And I was going to say like, these are perfect for holidays. So I, that makes me really happy that, that you also are doing that. So my, my next one is called Deacon King Kong by James McBride. Uh, this came out in 2020 and James McBride is a national book award winner. He won for The Good Lord Bird, which was phenomenal. This is the story. Deacon King Kong is a story. It is a group of people that are all living in a housing project in South Brooklyn. And the book opens with, it's in the late 1960s, and the book opens with this old, like cranky, uh, kind of a booze hound type church deacon. He's known as Sport Coat. And he like walks into the courtyard of this uh, housing project and in front of everybody (laughs) shoots a drug dealer at point blank range. And it's just like, you know, like what, it's such an interesting opening. Again, this is not a spoiler. Like it's in the first chapter of the book. It's in, I think it's in like the first like sentence of the description of the book. So you will, you will see this, but it's like, you have no idea why he did this. And then what ends up happening is the story unfolds into the stories and the lives of these different people throughout the housing project and also like how they interact with each other. And so you learn about the African-American and Latin residents of the, of the neighborhood who witnessed it. You learn about their white neighbors. You learn about like the local cops that are assigned to investigate. You learn about, the different members of the church where Sport Co. is a deacon. And then you also learn about like the Italian mobsters that were the people that were doing kind of like the drug running. And it's just this like, if you're a fan of uh, like the uh, Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead is a good experience, like a good one to kind of compare this to. It's that like intersection of all of these different cultures within a melting pot that is an area of New York. And, but you also see like how these relationships Uh, are kind of very, very intricate. And so like you just learn about different people that are connected directly or, or indirectly to this shooting and why sport coat did it. And it, it's just so good. It's again, it's a very character and relationship driven book, like it, which you would think it would be plot driven Mm -hmm. seeing as how the like driver. Yeah. Yeah, It opens (laughs) with like this main driving thing, but it really is character driven and, it's also just has incredible character development because it's one of these books where like you meet all these people and you instantly form an opinion based on like their introduction to the story. And you learn that there's just 
so much more to all of them. So James McBride is a a phenomenal writer, but I, I was like, blown away by Deacon King Kong when I read it a couple years ago. And um, like I said, I know it became a bestseller, but it's been mm-hmm. a couple years old. So in case you missed this uh, when it came out, yeah, Deacon King Kong by James McBride is phenomenal. This is where I tell you that it's on my Kindle and I just have not read it because That's I a- actually own this book. And so I'm glad that you described it because sometimes I just need a motivator to like move it back up. I believe it was like a Kindle deal and I grabbed it because it was, mm-hmm. it was like $3.99 and everyone kept talking about it. And so I'm like, yeah, I should definitely read that. But it somehow shifted all the way to the bottom on the, on the pool. So I'm really glad that you uh, talked about that one today because I actually own it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like this, I'm shocked this is the first time this has happened that one of us has said that to each other because I feel like on our first recording, we like said that a couple of times like, oh, that's actually <laughs> on my list or yeah. oh, that's on my Kindle. So that's, I'm shocked it took this long. <laughs> Well, today I also want to bring a nonfiction November selection because it is nonfiction November and I know a lot of us are using that as a prompt, but I wanted to talk about a memoir that I don't hear anybody talk about and it's just this really great under the radar gem. It's called Glorious Rock Bottom, written by Brittany Gordon. So this is a super fast page turner. It would be perfect for nonfiction November. Many people I know gravitate towards celebrity memoirs when we think about memoirs. And I I do appreciate sometimes celebrity memoirs, but I will say that I am more in the vein that I love to learn stories about people that I've never known about or didn't know anything about. Brittany is someone who might be well-known to some, but she was not known to me. She's a respected journalist. She worked at The Telegraph. She was also a bestselling author. She launched an award-winning mental health campaign. She's so well-known that when I found her podcast, I discovered her very first episode on mental health was with Prince Harry of all people, okay, who came on to talk about mental health. So I'm like, she's new to me, so she's probably a celebrity to other people, but to me, I I didn't know anything about her. So all of that is going on in her life, all those wonderful, lovely achievements. But what people didn't know was that she was secretly battling a 20-year addiction to drugs and alcohol that had spiraled out of control, threatened her life, her marriage, her motherhood journey. And this memoir documents her recovery process, and it is honestly the best memoir I've ever read on recovery. Now, I feel like with recovery stories, they usually end with, you know, the person goes through something, they have a rehabilitation, and then it ends like that. But this story is documenting some really critical lessons from the challenges of like sober holidays every year to replacing addictions with different addictions, like even healthy ones. Let's say running is your addiction. Even running, because I know, I, I know I'm talking. I feel you. so cold out right now. No, but she, I think there was at one point, she really did get passionate about running, but it got to an unhealthy thing because I think that sometimes when we replace our unhealthy habits, we go gung-ho on something else. And that is really why this one became so compelling. Um, and I will say too, just in like my own showing up authentically, I transformed my relationship with alcohol this year, which might be why some of those moments really felt profound to me. And I think Quitlet can be really helpful if you are also trying to cut down. And just as an aside, I do want to recommend there is a really great app called the Sunnyside Drinking Tracking app that you can look up if you're trying to also break up with your nightly wine crutch like I was. But you don't need a 
complicated relationship with alcohol to appreciate it. I would recommend this to any reader who needs a memoir that just leaves them feeling inspired or for more empathy for someone else who's recovering from an alcohol addiction. This transformation was really beautiful to read about, and I think everyone should pick it up. It's called Glorious Rock Bottom. It's written by Brittany Gordon. That sounds so good. I am absolutely going to grab that. That sounds fantastic. Okay, so the first of my last two, these are two books that I read every single year, and Long-time listeners of me you know, doing book recommendations, I apologize, but I've, I have to talk about them both. So the first one is Hidden Sea by Gregory Maguire. This is basically his story of a retelling of The Nutcracker, but focusing on uh, Drosselmeyer, who is the toy maker. So it, it is, I mean, it's not really like a Christmassy book, but I will say, obviously, because it's about Drosselmeyer, like, If you are familiar with the ballet or the music of the Nutcracker, you'll get those kind of warm and fuzzies. Um, But McGuire, Gregory McGuire wrote Wicked, which is something that Mm -hmm. people are obviously very, very aware of. He also wrote After Alice. So that was his Wonderland version of this type of thing. So Hidden Sea tells the story of how Drosselmeyer kind of came to be. So in the Nutcracker, the Uh, actual ballet, you really only meet him as the person who brings all of these wonderful toys to everyone, but you don't really get to know much about him. This story starts when he is a young child in the black forests of Bavaria, and he grows up with these people who he thinks are his parents, not entirely sure, but basically he ends up kind of leaving that forest, and it was for a long time, they were the only people he'd ever known, and he he gets kind of connected with this. There's a little bit of magical realism in the sense that like he has this cane that he's walking with. And at the top of it, it has almost like, um, honestly, I guess you could say it a goblin again. And like, it kind of talks to him. He's able to sort of talk to these animals, but basically it tells the story of him growing up and going on this long journey from uh, like going from different place to place where he works in a church for a while. And then he takes a message from the leader of that church off to a different uh, land where the, basically the, the priest is like, I need help with my church. And can you just take this message someplace? And he has to travel a, a long way to get there. And he ends up working in this new town that he goes to and he helps raise some children. And then he kind of moves on from there and he meets this family that he becomes friends with. And he basically at a certain point starts carving toys and he kind of opens his own toy shop and he gets better and better at it. And then he when he grows old, he goes back and actually sees the priest that he never was able to like pass on his message message to. And like, but it's just this like really beautifully told, wonderful, mysterious tale as to how this character who we really only see in the, the ballet, like a snapshot of it's just this person mm. who brings toys and then kind of disappears until the end of the, the ballet. It's just this like wonderful unfolding of all of the different things that his life. Uh, led to and became. And again, I read this every single year because I'm a nostalgic holiday person. Um, But it's, you can read it any time of year, but November, December is the perfect time for Hidden Sea by Gregory Maguire. So the only Gregory Maguire book I have read is Wicked, which is obviously the most familiar. But I will say that I needed like a nutcracker recovery process after going every year to my daughter's ballet um, because she did it every single year was that was the show. And so I feel like 
I'm pretty familiar with the Nutcracker and it might be nice now that she's done with that ballet and I'm not spending every winter season sitting in uh, the audience of that show. uh, I can actually appreciate the story again and come back to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's very fair. I I will say if you are the the mother or father of a... uh, a ballerina. A person who is a ballerina who is doing this every single year. You might get a little twitchy, but uh, they, it's it's so beautiful, and I highly recommend it. It's so good. Well, I picked a book that is not sitting in the winter setting. It's actually sitting in the summer setting. But sometimes in the winter, I like to read a summer read, and I wanted to end with a book that didn't make it for our book club, but I feel like it was so on the cusp of being on there, and I but I think it's like a special audience that will appreciate it. It's called Landslide. It's written by Susan Conley. This is like a very moving, powerful, unforgettable short read where she paints a literary portrait of a family in a remote fishing village in Maine. So there's this fishing accident that happens. It leaves Jill's husband hospitalized and she has to figure out how she's going to manage the home and her family alone in this location. And dealing with this under normal conditions would be manageable, but the family relies upon this, you know, father's job for both income and, you know, just their livelihood. It all exists and hinges on his success. She also discovers that her son is posting some Instagram photos with a joint, and she also has begun to suspect that her husband may be having an affair. So this is very much a character-driven story. It's written in really sparse and gentle prose, and it brings in that challenging remote setting that also adds a mood to the book. But more than anything, I found it to be a really relatable read on mothering teens. Um, The author makes some really fun observations and, and frankly, real observations on motherhood. And I just have to quote this one line where she said, being a mother isn't anything like I thought it would be. It's harder, better, more confusing, shorter, longer. And another passage that I highlighted was, but no matter what, no one will love you more or be meaner to you than your own kids. So if motherhood doesn't grab you, there's also some really keen observations on marriage. I ended up highlighting another powerful line about marriage that said, I thought of marriage as two people who know each other entirely and will always know each other. But what if they're just two people who share an idea of what life could be? And then one of them changes their idea. So I felt really seen by like the truth in it. I felt a little less alone and challenging, you know, with raising teens. I have a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old. If character-driven stories aren't for you, this might not be for you. But uh, if this sounds like a read for you, check out Landslide by Susan Conley. I am going to make my sister read this, who has a, she has four kids, but the oldest is 15. This feels like a good time for her to check this out. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. My last one is, and I might've mentioned this on your show as well, but Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. It is my end of year book that I read every single year. Uh, Lillian Boxfish was born, it's the, the story starts in 1984 and she is 85 years old. And, but she's always lied about her age because she didn't want anyone to know she was born in 1899. To her, that felt just like a bridge too far. She didn't want to accept she was born in the 1800s. So what it is, is it's New Year's Eve and she decides um, she's going to go for a walk. Normally on New Year's Eve, she goes to a restaurant in New York City where she lives called Grimaldi's, which 
side note, I was walking around in New York City earlier this year. I was there for work and I literally walked past Grimaldi's and like stopped in my tracks because I did not know it was a real place. And I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> the place that Kathy Rooney writes about. Uh, so Lillian Boxfish decides she's going to walk. She's going to take a walk to the place instead of driving. Uh, and so as she's walking to dinner and then past dinner, she decides just to walk throughout the city. She looks back on her 84 years of life, but more specifically on her life in New York City, which was from the 1930s through present day. And she was the highest paid woman in all of advertising. She worked for R.H. Macy. This is a fictional story, but she worked for R.H. Macy writing ad copy. And it just kind of tells the story of everything as she's moving up along, uh, moving throughout kind of her life. And it goes from the jazz age to the onset of the AIDS pandemic to the Great Depression to like the birth of hip hop. And she she just like, she does this beautiful nostalgic look back of everything that's going on. And also the way that <laughs> Kathleen Rooney writes, basically the ad copy that Lillian Boxfish like uses throughout her career. It's just so beautiful. And it like, it makes me kind of hearken, like I want to be in that time frame. I feel mm -hmm. like life moves so fast now. And like the way that we are advertised at is either you know, two seconds on TikTok or it's like, there's no time for reading a three paragraph like playfully written promotion of a, um, an ice box, you know, or mm -hmm. like a desk. And so it just makes me like, I am definitely, I always think I'm kind of, I was born in the wrong time frame, and this makes me nostalgic for a time I never knew, but it's so beautiful. And she has all these interactions with people in the present day. And then it goes back to times that she's talking about in her past. And it's just so beautiful. It's a perfect book for the end of year as you're thinking back throughout all the stuff that you accomplished in the year before and all the stuff you want to do in the next year. So that's Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. I love your old soul, Adam. I really appreciate yep. that. I, I have a, a child that has an old soul. And uh, even when he was born, he was already like worried about the world. And I think that people like you are really important in our reading lives. And I'm so glad you brought this. I, I definitely want to check it out. Well, thank you so much. I definitely am an old soul, 100%. Okay, so I will just, I want to tell everybody, if you enjoyed this, first off, first and foremost, most importantly, follow Amy on all of the social media platforms. Check out the Book Gang podcast. It's so great. It's a must listen. Check out our Patreon and do all of the things you can to support Amy. And also, if you enjoyed this, just shoot me an email as well at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. My hope is to do this every couple of months. Again, I don't want to tax Amy too, too much, but it's just... I feel like we get along very well when it comes to book recommending and it's something that I love doing and I know that Amy loves doing as well. So if you guys enjoyed this, um, let us both know. I would love to to hear from everybody. Amy, any kind of parting words or places that you want to make sure people check out before we sign off? Yeah, December 1st, we will announce our new 2023 Mom Advice Book Club year. If you want to find me on Facebook, you can also find me on Mom Advice Book Club on there and join the free club. You'll see all the events listed there for the year and we make our big announcement. We'll have 12 really beautiful slides collections, a lot of under the radar books that you probably haven't checked out yet that I'm really excited to acquaint you with. Ah, that sounds so amazing. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And most especially, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.